I am going to suggest, and I'll just, just plant this thought, this seed, is that uh, every week, just make an effort maybe to extend yourself beyond a little bit the parameters of what is comfortable. And uh, that comfort, we have kind of different degrees of that in a COVID world that we're living in. But to somehow say hi to somebody that uh, is near you and uh, continue to uh, sort of bring together and grow our fellowship, our interactions with one another. I see a number of people that are maybe here for the first time or visiting today. We don't want you to get away without uh, feeling welcomed and, uh, and noticed here. And so uh, I want to say that, and we have others that are newer members and know how hard it is to, particularly during this time, to to uh, feel connected and to grow in your relationship. So let's work on this together, okay? Uh, so happy that a few years back we began the Advent tradition and uh, just wonderful seeing the Sukharans up here and on this, uh, this Sunday, the candle of hope. The people of Israel placed enormous hope in the coming of the Messiah. Can you imagine what that would be like living before Jesus. And here we celebrate both the coming and the coming of the Christ child, but also the enormous hope that we have in His coming again. And that, in fact, will be our focus today as we're in our final sermon in this series, Gentle and Lowly. Now, how many of you finished the book? Okay, I've got a, oh, Ed, you got through it? Fantastic, no, okay. Anybody else? All right. Uh, well, 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 how, how many started the book? All right, hey, that's better. How many have plans to keep it going? How many are saying what book? All right, I get it. So we've been working through this book together. I've been helping us work through it, Gentle and Lowly by uh, Dane Ortland. And this title I took directly from one of the chapters in the book called Buried in His Heart Forever. He actually said forevermore, but I changed it to Buried in His Heart Forever. That is, what is your end game? Do you have one? What are you working toward? Is it more than just getting up and breathing some more air another day and eating some stuff and, and going to school and going to work? What's the end game? Do you know? Well, the Westminster Confession said it this way, to glorify God. And I love this tag-along with that. It's not even a tag-along. It's a compliment. Glorify God and enjoy Him. Forever. Don't know I could say it better. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, look at your word again this morning, as we think about this title, as we bring together this series, as we note the Westminster Confession, as we think about our lives, we know there is more. I pray that we'll see it and that we'll approach it, approach it and we'll look forward to the day of his coming and our day of reunion with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's one thing to acknowledge that this is our goal, our future is eternal life, that is 
um, there's more than being born and living and dying. But if you're like me, day to day, ah, I lose it. I lose perspective. I have little awareness of eternity. If you can agree that our outcome is to glorify God in forever, and that is the why of living, then maybe we could focus just for a few minutes this morning on how. How do we go about thinking about what is to come? How do we get there? How do we glorify God? Because as the old saying goes, life is in the living, isn't it? And each day, each moment, well, there's a life that honors God. I thought it was uh, intriguing as, a, as Jeremy read from 1 Peter this morning, and I had a passage down from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 that talks about the importance of living lives that honor Him and imitate Him. In other words, we are His representations on earth. We are His reflectors. We are mirrors of the Maker. You are closer to a God than you first realized. And on account of that, as we anticipate being with Him, we're trying to grow into the, His likeness each day. As uh, Ortland put it, our lives are pieces of art, giving applause to the great artist. And that's certainly one way of thinking about this day and the direction that your life is headed as you anticipate glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And again, we ask the question, what's the end goal? How do we do this? Well, I want to turn it around just a little bit today, as I've been doing all through this series. And, and rather than thinking so much about what do I need to do to live for God, I'd like to uh, turn it a bit on its head and consider what flows from God as it relates to eternity. Ortland suggests this picture in his chapter, and he describes the, an image of a river that is dammed up. It is pent up. It is ready to burst. And this is the heart of God, the heart of Christ, that it's overflowing, it's ready to burst. This is God within himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all goodness, all kindness, all love. And when God's personhood is filled with this kind of goodness and love and kindness, God needs an outlet, a way to give it. And where does it go? Well, it sparked creation long ago. And creation, in fact, was an overflow of God's heart. And it has been and will always be God's goal for this abundance to be given to his creation, specifically to his children. So let me show you another picture to maybe get our some our thoughts together as we think about glorifying and enjoying God forever. And uh, this is the picture of my wife walking down, well, she wasn't my wife at the moment, but soon to be, 
walking down the aisle, the picture of our wedding, and I want us to think about it from this standpoint. I'm on the, uh, she was just coming in the doors of the church building, and I was already standing up here. And if we dare think about this uh, metaphor in this way, she being the future, the bride, and me being the groom, and the groom being, being God or Christ, what do you suppose that I was feeling as I saw her coming down the aisle? Well, my heart was pumping. It was overflowing. I was nervous, but more, I was happy. I was hopeful. I was beaming, I was grateful, and like that river that you just saw, my heart was ready to burst. Let me read you some scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And then in this very strange, it seems to me, redirection, where we think we're talking about marriage, and in fact we're at kind of a practical section in Paul's letter, the book of Ephesians, practical section on relationships, it flips. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, no doubt Christ and his church are united, married now. We've been united with Christ. However, this final joining, the full appreciation of both the wedding and the marriage is at the end of the age. Let me show it from another passage, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 and 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What a passage of uniting and overflowing and of joy. I've got a question. What emotions dominate a wedding typically? Boy, there are a lot of them around a wedding. Well, there's anticipation, there's joy, there's a hopeful future, there is, then along with that, the frequent emotions of planning, anxiety and worry, and they give way to words, to words like this as the ceremony unfolds, and how many times I've heard this, that was such a beautiful ceremony. Or I couldn't help but tear up, it was so beautiful. Seems like that word beautiful gets used the most. We'll see what is true for a wedding is even more true for the big wedding. 
Let me think about it in another way, or share it with you another way for just a moment. And that is how this passage that Collins read to us from Ephesians chapter 2, it highlights the gospel. If you've read through, most of us have Ephesians chapter 2 a number of times, maybe hundreds of times in our lives as it outlines the gospel. The first part of Ephesians chapter 2, it provides this sobering picture of our bankruptcy without God. We can't do it on our, on our own. And then in the next verses, the text speaks to God's initiative. And he takes his initiative by, by bringing, by Christ's coming, the cross of Christ, which brings God's mercy and kindness. And then that section that Collins read says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a, it's the great passage of the, of the Reformation of the Protestant tradition. This not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Famous, famous verses. But I want you to see something in, sandwiched in the middle. In verses 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ. It's God's initiative. And seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Here's what we get to look forward to. In order that in the coming ages, would you agree to me that that is often the future? He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. In other words, there's the anticipation of the coming of Christ, there's the grace that we find in Christ's coming, now there is the grace that we can look forward to at this final reunion. And it's said this way, the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Get ready for some kindness. Look forward to some kindness. You see, what is the point of the new life, eternal life, the new heavens and the new earth? It is an opportunity, now I want you to hear this, for God to showcase, to demonstrate through and through who He is and how He loves. God will have this opportunity for all eternity to show off His grace and kindness. And we're the recipients. You see, we saw His commitment to kindness in the Old Testament covenants. And we witnessed this unimaginable kindness in Jesus going to the cross but have you ever considered that the very point of eternity is for us to receive and to participate and to enjoy the displays of His kindness? It's hard for us to see it because we often think that heaven will be about us. But it's actually about Him. And it's this opportunity for God like a river. 
to express an overflowing kindness. You see, to go and glorify God forever is to be absorbed by and in His kindness. Let's step back for just a moment. I want to suggest that here is part of His confounding wisdom. And there are many, many things in the Scripture that are confounding. For God's ways are not like our ways. Here's one. The thing that we fear that will keep us from God, our sin. If we are humble and repentant, it will actually do the opposite. It will highlight His mercy and kindness. Our sins cannot come close to exhausting the kindness of His heart. Now, I'm not saying our sin is good. It's not pleasant to others. It is destructive, of, destroys who we are, destroys relationships. Our sin demanded that Jesus come to the cross, so it is extremely costly. However, the irony is that our sin and our failure all the more creates a stage that showcases His kindness. So let me put it this way. God looks forward to heaven far more than we do. He looks forward to setting up a perfect domain where heaven and earth converge, where God's will is done completely and freely, that His way of setting up a society will surprise and delight and turn upside down our standard conventions about what the world might look like. But most of all, He looks forward to showcasing who He is, His heart of grace. His heart of kindness. Now, Ortland in the, in the book has a, an interesting and thoughtful definition that maybe isn't the whole story, but I want you to think about this for just a minute. That his definition of kindness is this a desire to do what is in your power to prevent discomfort in another. That is really an intriguing definition. I would just invite you to think about it this week. Think if you can come up with some illustrations in your own walk, in your own family, your own relationships, where this definition of kindness might be very, very appropriate. You see, sometimes we cause discomfort now. Y'all are feeling a little discomfort right now as you're listening to this sermon, causing a little discomfort for a little more growth, okay? There's a, there's a trade-off. But I think this definition has a lot of meaningful applications. If you've ever planned or watched a wedding being planned, there is a lot of discomfort. Sometimes chaos 
Sometimes it's with the family. It's with the timing. It's with the money. It's with the venue. But I want to suggest to you, in contrast to all of that, the groom is kind. And he's relaxed and filled with joy and laughter and eager to relieve and prevent discomfort to embrace his bride. So let's bring this home. I need to tell you again that the deepest recesses of your heart where I know there resides enormous feelings of failure. Where guilt hides. Where bad habits endure. Where doubt Doubt in God, doubt in Christ, doubt in the Spirit, doubt in the church, where it resides, it lingers. In that very place, the imparable riches of God's grace in His kindness will break forth. I need to tell you again this morning that in the largest, baddest, is that a word? Most habit-formed, disastrous, and hideous parts of your soul, this is where Christ's mercy and His works of grace are most glorified. And I hope you see that in this series, whether you read the book or not, if you're paying attention at least to a few of these messages, that we have come full circle. That our signature verse was from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, that says, Come to me. Just exactly like Amy's thought from Revelation 3.20 today. Thank you, Amy, for those amazing, amazing words. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. And the text says, I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy. And it's the same root word is this word in Ephesians 2, 7. My yoke is kind. Ephesians 2, 7, a brilliant compliment with Matthew 11. So as we wrap up this series, I believe Ortland has done the work for us theologically. And now, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will work it 
into your soul. We collectively are the bride. And about, go ahead and put our last slide there, about to give the groom opportunity to show his kindness forever. Kindness that he enjoys giving. Now, for those who haven't chosen Christ, this life is the best it'll ever get. For those who have chosen Him, this life is the worst it'll ever be. Come to me, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly, and I will give you refreshment for your souls forever.